Hello and welcome to Rooted Together Podcast, a podcast which aims to root you in Christ through His Word together. I am your host, Charles Hegwood. Welcome back to Luke chapter 4, part 2. The first part, we dealt with Jesus in the wilderness, and I wanted to take a whole episode for that because I believe it is that important. Now, in Luke, what you're going to see me do is I'm going to break apart chapters. I, I try to do a chapter at a time, but I think Luke is so... First of all, the chapters are not small, and on top of that, there's so many good things and important details in each chapter that I might be breaking them into sometimes even three parts. Now, if I do that, I'll let you know uh, in the future, So, and I'll probably release those same So I'll still be doing a chapter a week, but it might look like two episodes in that week, and I'll release them probably a day apart, Uh, just so... One, I, I can get through the book of Luke. My goal is to finish this season, and finish, which is really running up till Christmas, to finish it in in, in Luke. And then I'll, I want to do, a, as I said in the last episode, uh, or two episodes ago, uh, that I want to do a special Christmas episode with the genealogies of four unlikely women in the line of Jesus. I think that will be well worth your listen. It is very interesting. I've always enjoyed teaching that lesson when I've taught it to students. Uh, I believe it's important. Uh, but we are in Luke chapter 2, part 2, 16 through the end of the chapter. And I want to ask this question, how quickly do the tides of public opinion change? Because they do, and they change fast. And we're going to see that in this in this chapter. We're going to see people go from loving Jesus to trying to kill him literally within a few words. We're going to see two different crowds. And so I want you to be thinking, which crowd are you in? And I believe we flip-flop back and forth between these two crowds from time to time. And that is why it's worth our listening, worth our reading, and worth our uh, thinking of and reflecting on these things because it's easy to look at the bad crowd, the crowd that wants to kill Jesus, and say, "Well, that's not me." Uh, but yet, I want you to look at why they why they want to kill him, and and I want you to look at the other crowd why they want to seek him and ask, "Where am I in these crowds?" And it really will change day to day, and that's. That's what we want to be. That's why scripture is always relevant. It's not like we've ever arrived. And that's why Paul in Philippians talks about, I've not yet, I'm not yet perfect. He hasn't laid hold of the goal completely yet. That is perfection. He's not there. He still struggles with sin, just as we struggle with sin and will continue to do so until we meet Jesus face to face. But we want to be thinking about these two crowds because 16 and what follows is the story of two crowds. So Jesus goes to the synagogue, as was his habit, which means he's been teaching in Capernaum and he's made a name for himself. I mean, word has traveled to Nazareth, his hometown, where Jesus will find himself in the first part of this this story. And he shows up at the synagogue, as was the habit that he had made. He had made a habit of going to synagogue. He begins to teach. He unrolls the scroll, and he reads this in verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's 
favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and watched the crowd. When the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, he began to say to them, Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So he has fulfilled uh, prophecy in reading that to them. And watch this, verse 22, And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. That would sound great if we stop the chapter right there. This crowd is a good crowd. They hear Jesus' teaching. They see his gracious words, and they're marveling at them. That's outstanding. But we have to ask this question. The crowd is favorable, happy, and encouraged, yes, but perhaps they missed the whole point. Now, why? It's what comes next. Look look at the last part of verse 22. And they said, not, wow, who is this guy? Not what the next crowd will say, but they say, is this not Joseph's son? Is this not the son of Joseph who is speaking? We're amazed at his words But they're amazed not at what he said by what he said, meaning they're not amazed at the authority or the power of what he said, or even who he was or who he has claimed to be. What they're amazed about, what has got them marveling, is this. They can't get past who Jesus or who his dad is, who his earthly father is. He's a laborer. He's not a politician. He's not an educated rabbi. He didn't come from an elite family. He's just Joseph's son. And they got hung up on that. He's not somebody special in their eyes. And they're thinking, wow, what he says is really marvelous. But isn't this just Joseph's son? Isn't this, he's not anyone important. It's interesting that he would say such great words to be somebody so little. And, And so they can't seem to get past. They're marveling not at who Jesus is or who he has claimed to be or what he's even said. They're marveling at the fact he's saying these things as Joseph's son. They miss the point. They miss, by the way, Jesus's confession as the anointed son of God. They just goes right over their head. They're like, this is Joseph's son. They miss the fact he just said, I am the appointed one you've been waiting for. They don't, they gloss past the beauty of his words in his reading of Isaiah saying, this is being fulfilled in your midst right now. And Jesus is aware that their marveling was misplaced. He's not aloof to the fact that they're not marveling at his words because their words have power, that his voice has authority. He gets that they go, oh, it's just Joseph's son. It's interesting he's saying these things. So he calls them out for it. And their response to being called out, he, he basically says, oh, you think it's because of this? No. He goes, a prophet is never respected in his own hometown. And he begins to talk. And, and what he says is not nice to them. He calls them out in, in, a, in a real way. He's, he's not like, it's okay, you know, if, if you think these things. It's okay if you don't get it. You know, I, I don't want to be me. No, Jesus comes at him and he says things like, you know, he goes to Old Testament and he goes, but in truth, I tell you, in verse 25, there were many widows in, in Israel in the days of Elijah. And when the heavens were shut, and that's the, during the time of famine and drought, and a great famine came over all the land and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel uh, during the prophet Elisha and None of them were cleansed, but only Naam, the Syrian. And when they heard these things, 
they were quite angry. They drove him out of the synagogue. They drove him to the edge of a mountain and were getting ready to throw him over the cliff. But because Jesus is, in, he is so in control of the whole situation, he just walks through their midst. They can't touch him. It's not time. He gets away. But it's interesting how quickly the crowd goes from marveling to let's kill him because he calls them out because they're marveling and their amazement's misplaced. And he says, you missed it. You missed the point of what I'm saying. And they don't like it. They don't like being called out, so they try to kill him. Now, fast forward, verse 31, he goes back to Capernaum. Oh, the other thing is Jesus like, I'm sure you want me to do what you've heard me do in Capernaum. That's all you want. And so now he goes back to Capernaum where he had been ministering to the city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath just as he was the other crowd. So watch that. Uh, and, And when you compare these two crowds, it's very stunning. So I want you to look. He begins teaching, and they were astonished at his teaching for, not because this is the son of Joseph, they don't know who that is, but they know this. His word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man. So his words possessed authority. And now there's going to be a showdown of spiritual power between a demonic man. We see this in Mark, by the way. This is, this is recorded in Mark, same story. Uh, but the emphasis here is they're astonished at the authority of his teaching. But he doesn't just have authority in teaching. He has authority over all the spiritual realm because this demonic man comes in and he says, I know you are the Holy One of God, but Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. And the man gets thrown down in their midst. He doesn't get hurt. No harm comes to the man. Verse 36, and they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they come out, and reports about him went out to the surrounding region. Not, who is this guy coming from a nobody family? Not, But no, his words possess authority and power. Even the spirits obey him. They get that there is something special about Jesus that goes beyond just who he is, what he looks like, where he came from. His words have authority and power. He is something different and special. People begin clamoring for the first time in their lives. The word of God is being read with authority and not merely reading and rec- of, of recollection, but authority, real authority, tangible authority. And yet, they did not still, they still didn't fully grasp. They didn't fully know that the Word of God was being read by the Word of God, right? Jesus, as the Word, the Logos, is reading the Word of God. They didn't grasp that, grasp that entirely. Not yet. God Himself was teaching. They don't catch that yet, but they are amazed at the authority and the power of His words. So in this chapter, we see two responses. So those are the two crowds. And in fact, if you look at verse 42, the crowds begin seeking him out. So one crowd sought to kill him. One crowd sought him out to hear him and to be healed by him. Uh, But we learn these things. Anger leads to chasing away. Anger towards God led, led them to chasing Jesus away. And astonishment led to seeking. 
So which will you do? Which are you doing when you're confronted by God's truth? Because we, we talk about this concept as we get ready to close this chapter. We talk about this concept that when we read the word of God, it is like a mirror it's a sword. It's a mirror. We see our true reflection. There's no Instagram filters when we read the Word of God. We see ourselves as sinners, broken people, or at least we should. The Word of God, it encourages us, yes, but it also rebukes who we are. It rebukes our sinful nature. Now, do we respond angrily to that and chase away Or do we respond in astonishment at the power it possesses, and then we seek Jesus all the more? And I believe we flip-flop between these two crowds, these two responses. When we're in sin, we tend to respond by anger. We lash out in sin. But I want, if, if that's you, repent, come back, and be astonished and amazed at the Word of God, even when it confronts us. Be amazed. Now, this part, I don't want to gloss over this. Yeah, so I want to end it here. I want to land the plane. This part where Jesus, the people begin seeking Jesus. So verse 42, and, and when it was day, he departed them to a desolate, desolate place, and the people sought him. Now, what, what preceded that? In verse 41, people are coming to Jesus through the night to be healed and to have demons thrown out. And he's healing and he's, he's casting out demons all night. And then he retreats in the early day to a desolate place to a a place where it's just him an isolated place and the crowds begin to seek him that's great we would think but this is not the main reason jesus came the people sought jesus because they wanted him to continue healing them and there's nothing wrong with that to a degree but the problem is just like the first crowd who missed the point oh his words are great that's joseph's son that's wow Okay, the crowd goes, wow, this healing and these these words are great. It leads to healing. Wow. But they miss the point a little bit because they want that to continue. And Jesus is like, hang on. He retreats to the desolate place to get alone. We will see that a lot. Jesus will retreat to pray. There will be an infant's infant. I can't say that word emphasis in Luke on Jesus retreating to pray. Therefore, we would say it's very important for us also to retreat, to pray. But we want to end here with verse 43. He tells the crowd, seeking him, who won't leave them. And they say, keep, keep, stay with us. You know, don't leave us. They try to keep him from leaving them because they want to hear more words, but they also want to see more people healed. But Jesus says this, more important than physical healing. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose, not to heal every element this world throws. Because when Jesus leaves, those people who were healed will get sick again at some point. If he healed a, a cancer, they could get sick with a cold tomorrow. They could catch a fever that could kill them a month from then. It's not a permanent healing. Jesus said, no, I came with this purpose, to preach the kingdom of God, to preach a spiritual healing that will be eternal, that will be lasting, and to speak it to as many people as I can while I'm ministering. And and Jesus knows he has a, a timer on him. And he tells them, I did not come to simply heal your physical ailments. I came to preach the word of God. So I must leave you so that I can continue in that purpose. Brothers and sisters, don't get bogged down simply in praying for healing. Pray for eternal healing. 
realize that just as Jesus came to proclaim the word of God, yes, we want to meet people's physical ailments. Yes, we want to help people who are suffering physically or financially or whatever it may be. And that's important. But we also cannot, we cannot neglect preaching the word of God, preaching the gospel in doing that. We must preach the gospel. That is the utmost importance because that is the spiritual healing that everybody needs. Because without it, the physical healing really does mean nothing. I want to end on that very important note. Think about that with the crowd, even as the crowd seeks Jesus for the right reasons, in that they're seeking him because his words are marveling. They're seeking a physical healing, and Jesus is proclaiming a spiritual one. Don't miss the spiritual nature of Jesus' mission. Don't miss the gospel. Preach the gospel. Thank you for listening to Rooted Together. I look forward to joining you in Luke chapter 5 next time. I'll see you there.